Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is, When Traditions Get in the Way. Traditions get in the way, Mark 7, 8 to 13. And if you got the email, if you don't get my emails each week, uh, let me know and I can get you on the email list. But I, I gave you an assignment, watch Fiddler on the Roof. Did anybody get a chance to watch it? <laughs> you probably many have seen it before. Fiddler on the Roof. And you, you think of Fiddler on the Roof, what one word jumps out at you? Thank you. Tradition. Tradition. Right, yeah. We all think of the same way here. Tradition, right? And it's all about tradition. But the dad, the real touching part in that movie is when the father comes to realize that tradition is hurting his relationship with his family. Remember that touching scene, the daughter with the Russian husband, you know, the soldier and all that, and, and realize that it was actually blocking his, his relationship with the family. And the same can be true for us. Tradition can, can uh, the same can be true of our relationship with God. Tradition can actually hurt our relationship with God. doesn't have to. Some traditions are very, very nice and very good and very positive spiritually. We have communion once a month. Uh, this first Sunday of every month, that's a tradition that we follow. There's nothing the Bible says you have to do it the first Sunday of every month. It just says celebrate communion. But that's a tradition that we follow. That's positive. We have Christmas Eve services. They're awesome. We all come together for Christmas Eve. Very, very positive. Nothing wrong with tradition. The problem with traditions are if they replace God's word, which we're going to see here in a little bit, replace God's word, or even go against God's word. That's when religious traditions can be very dangerous, or even if they don't do that, they can get in the way of a love relationship. Anytime that traditions or religion or anything like that gets in the way of a love relationship with God as our Father, that's when they get into trouble, and that's what we're going to see today. Let me pray first. Father, we thank you for the worship today, which I know I needed and I know we all need. We thank you for the testimonies of the teens and how you used them to touch many lives there in Philly. And I know their hearts were, were all touched too. But we just pray now that you would touch our heart through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through your mercy and grace. That you would really speak to each one of us right where we are. What, what we need this morning it could be a hundred different things that we hear from you through your word today. We invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week, if you missed it, make sure you go on the podcast or get the CD because we showed the video, Why I Hate Religion. It's, it was just a great, it's a great video. It really kind of sets the tone for this passage. And, and we talked about the relationship versus religion and, and the difference between that. Once again, get the CD if you weren't here for that. Because we can only, we talked about we can only have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way to have a relationship is by putting our faith in Jesus. He died on the cross for us. He paid for our sin. He made a way for us to, have be, to be forgiven so that we could become sons and daughters of God and, and, and uh, be in heaven someday forever with God, have real life now and be in heaven, eternal life with God someday. We can only have that by putting our faith in Jesus, by putting our trust and hope in what he has done to forgive us and to give us a new life in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to do that. We talked about that, the only way. But for many, this truth of faith and a relationship with God of faith is buried by tradition and buried by religion. 
man-made religions and man-made traditions. And, and it's buried under tons of this so that just it gets buried. And what's really tragic is that these traditions in these Christ, so-called Christian churches are put above God's word. They're actually put above God's word. It happened in Jesus' time, the Jewish traditions. It happens today. The Christian traditions are actually put above God's word. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, verse 8, we read this last week. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. So God's word has been pushed aside and we're holding on to, to traditions instead. In fact, um, Warren Rearsby in, in his book on Mark, he brought out a couple quotes by some rabbis, just so you understand what Jesus is dealing with here in this passage. Listen to what a couple rabbis have said historically. Rabbi Eliezer said, He who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come. Here's another quote in the Mishnah. That's a collection of Jewish traditions in the Talmud. It says this, it is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict scripture itself. I'm going to read that again because this is wild. And you'll see these same quotes in different Christian traditions now. It is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict scripture itself. Scary, isn't it? That's what Jesus is dealing with. And that's why the Pharisees here, we're going to see they attacked Jesus all throughout the Gospels. They attacked him because he put God's word above their man-made religions and traditions. He said everything has to go through God's word. And anything that doesn't go through God's word, and the same today, any tradition has to go through God's word. If it, if it doesn't go with God's word, if it goes against it in any way or replaces it in any way, it's bad, it's wrong. It, it hurts our relationship with God. And that's why they attacked him. So we're going to see today that Jesus goes on the attack now. He attacks the man-made religions and traditions, and he shows that how if they go against God's word, they're getting in the way of a relationship with God. That's the danger. When traditions get in the way of our relationship, they keep us from a relationship or they keep us from staying close to God, that's when they're dangerous. Let's, let's read the passage here. I'll start with verse 8 again. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And now he goes on to show one specific example. There are many, many, but here's one example. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise have received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition, that you, hand, that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So he gives a specific example of how the Pharisees have put tradition over the word of God. The Bible, God's word, said the book of Moses teaches that we must honor our parents, which includes helping take care of them when they're older. Just like they took care of us when we were younger, we help take care of them when they're older. The Jewish religious leaders, though, came up with a, a, a system. It was really a scam. It's a scam they came up with to let people off the hook and so that they could also make a profit in the process of that. Can you imagine somebody doing that? 
<laughs> Turn on the TV, right? Turn on the radio. Uh, they taught that you could take the money you had set aside to help your elderly parents through their old age and give it to the temple. Well, it's good to give money to the temple, right? Uh, sorry, Mom and Dad. Uh, I know you need housing, but we can't help you because uh, we gave it to God instead. And it was a win-win for these people that were, got, this, got involved in this scam because they covered their tithe that was given. They didn't have to worry about the tithe anymore. And the temple priests got a nice cut because they all get a, a share of, you know, that was in the Bible, nothing wrong with that. But they knew they were going to get a nice cut off of this, this gift that came in this Korban gift. What, let me ask you a question. What does the Bible teach? Both. It says we're supposed to tithe and we're supposed to take care of our parents, honor them, and take care of them, right? We're supposed to do both. The same is true today. We're called as, as Christians to tithe, to give God our 10% to the church, but we're also called to take care of our parents. We're not supposed to rob either one. Don't rob God and don't rob our parents, either one. Those are both in force today. They're not, the law, that part of the law has been reaffirmed by Jesus Christ. And if we go against that, we're disobedient. But these guys came up with a spiritual scam. And once again, can you believe someone would come up with a, a, a way to make a profit off of the gospel, you know, off of the Bible? <laughs> Boy, just turn on the, like I said, turn on the TV, right? And these, these TV preachers. Now, there's some good ones, some godly ones, a couple. But most of them are there to make a buck. And they're making a buck. And they've got all kinds of systems and scams, you know. Send us this much money and you'll get ten times back again what you've given, you know. You ever hear that one? Or buy this healing hanky or this holy water or this has been blessed by me. They've got all kinds of scams to make money. Nothing, nothing new under the sun. But the result, now this is the bad part. Verse 13 of the scam that they came up with. Verse 13 is the really dangerous part. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition. Get that. You nullify, you do away with God's word by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many other things like that. That's the danger. Nullifying God's word by tradition. That's the damaging danger. And we're still doing it today. It still happens today. I'm going to give some examples. Now don't get offended. I'm going to pick on everybody. <laughs> Whatever your background is, we're going to pick on our, everybody including ourselves today. We're going to pack on our so don't get, don't get too upset yet. Uh, we'll start with the Roman Catholic Church, because that was historically the oldest one. They teach in the Roman Catholic Church that tradition is equal to God's word. God's word's important, but tradition and also the, the, the Pope's word, there's actually three equal authorities. There's the, God's word, there's tradition, and there's what the Pope says. They're all equal. And as a result of that, you have a lot of very interesting things taught in the Catholic Church. And I'm not going to get into all those, but the, the, the really sad part is that the gospel that I've already shared, that you put your, you're saved by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, that's how we have a relationship with God, the gospel has been buried under tons of tradition. Before the Roman Catholic Church became the Roman Catholic Church, it was called the Catholic Church, which we are all part of. For 300 years, it was the Catholic Church. That means universal. We are all part of God's Catholic Church, universal church. And for 300 years, it taught that you were saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But what happened is when the Catholic Church became the Roman Catholic Church, Rome took over that church, 
and it evolved over time to no longer are you saved by faith, but you're saved by faith plus works. You're saved by faith plus following the rules and the, the rituals and the sacraments and all these man-made things that, that, were in, that were invented over time and many of them borrowed from the Roman religions and the Babylonian religions over time. And what happened is in time, the, the gospel was buried under tradition. And salvation by faith became salvation by faith plus works. But if you, as Romans 11, 6, and if by grace and it is no longer by works, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. If you add one work to grace, what does it become? One works. If you had one prerequisite, one thing that you have to do to what Christ has already done, what does it become? Man-made. It becomes human effort. And that's what happened. That's why now most Catholic Roman Catholics today are trying to work their way into heaven. How do I know it? Because I have a lot of Roman Catholic friends, and I ask them all the time. I ask them the big question. Because I'll say, they'll say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And I always ask this question. I ask it of everybody, not just Roman Catholics. Everybody says they're a Christian. I say, if you were to die today and stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? That question gets right to it every time. If you were to die and stand before God, and I'll ask everybody here that. If you were to die and stand before God, and, and you're standing before God, and we all will someday, before his throne, and he would say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? The vast majority of my Roman Catholic friends say, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to follow the rules. I've been baptized. I take mass. I, I do, I do, I do. I'm trying to do, 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 do. It's rare, but it happens. It's rare when I hear someone say, because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only answer that's going to get us into heaven. Is I put my faith in Jesus Christ. His death on the cross. His resurrection. We put our faith and trust in him completely. And, and if you've come from a Roman Catholic background. You know what I'm talking about. You were taught you had to do, do, do. Even Mother Teresa. I've read her story. Before she died, she was in torment. She didn't know if she was going to go to heaven. Mother Teresa. Who could be better than Mother Teresa? Who did more good works than Mother Teresa? Nobody. But that's not what saves us. All her good works mean nothing. It's what our faith is in. Who our faith is in. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, if you don't have this memorized... Uh, Get with it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are saved, how? By faith in God's grace. It has nothing to do with works. This verse is in the Roman Catholic Bible. Why? Because we have the same Bible. It's there. It's just been buried by the works. Now, are works important? Sure they are. Verse 10. The very after Ephesians 2, 8, 9, verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Are good works important? Yes, they are. Do they save us? Not one little bit. But if our faith is real, the works will follow. If someone tells me they're a Christian and, and they've saved by faith, but there's no works, they say, uh-uh, I'm not buying that. Because Jesus said there will be fruit. If there's no fruit, no Jesus. No Jesus, no fruit. 
Works are very important. That shows our faith is real. But they don't save us. They follow salvation. And that's, the, the, that's what gets buried by the Roman Catholic traditions. Now, let's move on to the Protestants. We've already we've said enough about Roman Catholics. The Protestants. Well, first of all, the Protestant churches have become very similar to the Roman Catholic churches at this point, and many, even on the gospel. Many, many people I talk to Protestant churches, I ask that big question, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Their work's salvation too. But I'm going to focus on some other things. I'll focus on baptism. Most historical Protestant churches, pra groups, practice infant baptism, baptizing babies. They don't baptize believers, they baptize babies. Where is that found in the Bible? Nowhere. Nowhere, anywhere, ever. No one's ever been able to show that to me. That is a tradition that developed over time, and it developed because of superstition. Well, the baby could die, and then they're going to go to hell, which isn't true. You know, your babies go to heaven. And, and it developed because of superstition. You've got to baptize that baby. But it's not in the Bible. The Bible teaches believe and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. It teaches believer baptism. Now, is it wrong to baptize a baby? No. If, as long as the parents understand that this is a dedication, this is, has nothing to do with their salvation, I'm dedicating, I know a lot of parents will baptize the baby, or they say, I'm just dedicating this baby to, to God. That's nothing wrong with that. Whether you want to have a sprinkling or you want to just do a baby dedication, we're, we do baby dedications here, we're going to have one next, uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, that, it's, that's no problem. The point, though, is it's not for salvation. We are saved when? When we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's when we are saved. When we, when we say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. And, and I believe that he came alive to, to prove that he died for my sin. And I put my faith in Jesus. My trust in Jesus. I give my life to him. When we take that step, that's when we are saved. And that's when we become a Christian. And that's when we're to be baptized. We're to be baptized, it says, believe and be baptized. We're to be baptized as a witness to show that something happened inside of us. Our old self died with, 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 our, our self, with Christ on the cross. Our old self died and we became a new person just as Jesus died on the cross and was buried and came up out of the grave, alive again. We died. When we put our faith in Jesus and asked for forgiveness for sins, our old self died and was buried with him. And we came out a new person in Jesus Christ at that moment. Do you understand that? When you put your faith in Jesus, you became a brand new person. That's a fact. The question is, are we going to live it? And it's a battle. It's a lifelong battle. Don't miss the baptism next week. I'm going to deal with that. Romans 6, we're going to deal with that next week, uh, uh, getting ready for the baptism, okay? We, we, we're, we can live a new way if we, live it, if we listen to God's word and depend on his Holy Spirit and live by mercy and grace, but, it, but it's a battle. So we put our faith in Christ. We, sh we are baptized to show that our old self died and it came out. We go under the water to show that our old self has di died and we come out of the water showing that we're going to live a new life in Jesus Christ. Baptism is an outward picture of what has already happened inside. People can't see the inside. They see this outward picture of what we're doing. That's what baptism is all about. And that's why we're going to have a meeting after church today. If you've never been baptized and you're feeling God's leading to do that, uh, his word says it, by the way. It's a command. But anyway, I won't go into that. But uh, you come up and we'll do the meeting. And, and, and even if you haven't even thought about it, the Holy Spirit's convicting you. Come on up. Get you baptized. It's a awesome, awesome experience. But 
lot of people don't practice baptism. Why? Because traditions get in the way. And they're missing an awesome experience. Anybody who's been baptized will tell you, except for becoming a Christian, it's the next most awesome spiritual day of their life. Something powerful happens to the Holy Spirit during baptism. Evangelicals. Now we're moved from, we're going to get more specific out of the Protestants. We'll go right to the evangelicals, which we would be considered evangelicals. I said, I'm going to pick on everybody. I'm going to. All right. Because we all have traditions that get in the way. We also have many traditions that get in the way. I'll just pick one. Here's one. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of you get nervous. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? Well, let's see what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11. This is in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> Verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, many of us, including me, were... Taught growing up that the Holy Spirit doesn't work this way anymore. He can't work this way anymore. He doesn't work this any way anymore. His, the purpose of all these things have been fulfilled. Where is that in the Bible? It's not. It's not there. All the arguments saying that are historical, philosophical arguments. You can't make a strong biblical argument for that. You can't. Now, I'm not saying, now get this, I'm not saying we have to accept everything out there as the Holy Spirit's work. There's a lot of flesh out there that says it's this stuff happening. There's some counterfeiting, Satan's the, the counterfeiter. And not everything is practiced biblically. That's what turns a lot of people off this stuff. You see it practiced, not biblically practiced, like 1 Corinthians talks about. But, let me ask you this. If the Holy Spirit manifested himself biblically, would we be upset or excited? <laughs> How would we react to the Holy Spirit's manifesting, manifesting himself? Will, would we let our traditions get in the way of God's word and working? Would we let our traditions get in the way of his power? And we've seen his power, haven't we, at certain times? Remember some of the healings that have happened and, and God working in powerful ways here? It's not what I grew up with. not the traditions I grew up with. And sometimes I'm uncomfortable and some of this stuff makes me nervous. But biblically, I can't, we can't let our traditions get in the way. God could move in a powerful way. He does move in powerful ways, but he could move, the Holy Spirit could manifest himself in some of these ways. And, and would we let our traditions get in the way? Now that I've made you all real nervous, now I'm going to really get to something here. All right. Another way I see traditions really get in the way, and this is even... A, t a tougher one. I think this is really a tough one. Another way I see traditions replace God's word in the Bible, especially with Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches, is legalism. Legalism. And that's really what the heart of this passage really is trying to get to, the legalism. The root of legalism starts out in a, with a positive purpose. The root of it is positive. 
it's trying to help us live more godly lives, trying to help us live holy lives. That's the whole root of legalism. How help people live more more holy. But what happens is it morphs from helpful suggestions into, well, legalism. <laughs> legalism, this controlling, thought-controlling thing. That's what it morphs from a helpful thing into something not helpful, legalism. Someone, a church group will notice that uh, movies are filled with a lot of sex and violence. Anybody notice that? Yeah, most, most movies have that. And so, but then they say, but you can't go to any movies or watch any movies or watch any TV. That's legalism. Uh, they notice that much of the dancing today is sexual in nature. Anybody notice that? So, but then they say, but no dancing is allowed. Not even at a, not even at a wedding, no dancing. They notice that alcohol is a very big drug problem, and it is a drug, by the way. Uh, you know, most of the alcohol content is so high it's considered a drug in the U.S. today. So, so you can't drink wine or even at dinner with your family, you know. You, no drinking any kind of alcohol. Now, we should be very careful what we see on TV and movies and computers because we've all become very callous to that, haven't we? We should be way more careful than we are as Christians. And we should be discerning with dancing. We should be discerning where we dance and how we dance. Is it modest? Is it really for fun? Or is it something else? We should be. And if we drink, we should be careful of its, of its effects in our life or others' lives and our witness. Should be very, very careful. When I grew up, no one was allowed to drink, pretty much Christians. Nobody drank. Everybody knew Christians didn't drink alcohol. Now today, we have no discernment. Everybody drinks. It's not no drinking. It's no discernment. Everybody drinks, and, and there's no discernment or self-control. I personally don't drink. I don't need it, and I, I don't see spiritual positives with my life in ministry. I don't see it in our culture because of all the abuse with it. it it's become a huge problem in our culture. I don't, but I can't say you can't drink. I can't say that. I can't say you should never drink. I can't say that biblically. I can say you should never get drunk. The Bible teaches that. If you get drunk, that's, not, that's wrong. I can, say as a past, I can say you shouldn't drink if you're under 21 because that's against the law. If you're under 21 and you're drinking, that's wrong. I can say you shouldn't drink if you need to. If you need it to unwind or you need it to relax and you need a beer every night or a glass of wine before you go to bed to get to sleep, I could say that's wrong. you shouldn't be doing it because you're dependent on it now. You're dependent on it, and that you know the whole alcoholism discussion comes in. I can say you better be careful who you drink in front of, because Romans teaches that. You should be careful who you drink in front of, and and who sees you and who knows you drink. You should be very very careful if you're okay with it, but you got to be careful who you could offend or who who what young person could be affected by that. I can say all that, but I cannot say no one should ever drink. Or no one should ever go to a movie. Or no one should ever dance. Because what would that be? Legalism. That's legalism. We all need to pray about these things and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and ask God what we should do. Because if something's not clearly in Scripture, it's a matter of the conscience, which we're going to, and it's a, something we've got to follow the Holy Spirit's lead on, which we're going to talk about in uh, two weeks from today. We're going to talk about some ways to discern these hard questions, these gray areas from 1 Corinthians. Don't miss that in two weeks. Legalism, it's really ridiculous if you really step back and look at it. I'll give you an example. Criminal behavior in Puritan New England. Criminal behavior. To dance at a wedding was against the law. To conduct sports events. 
for the poor to wear shoe buckles, to have theatrical performances, to perform a religious music, to celebrate Christmas. These were all against the law in Puritan New England. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But they really, they really believe strongly in these things. It's not just the Puritans, it's everywhere. In fact, uh, I saw a thing in uh, Jerusalem, news about Jerusalem a few years back. It says one of the, Israel's most powerful rabbis has ruled that women who wear wigs will be damned. Both she and her wig will, be, will burn in hell, he said. I'm not going to go into all the details, but he didn't think it was a good idea. Women should not be wearing wigs, all right? Anyway. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But, but that's what legalism is. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. But the real danger, now this is the key here, the real danger of legalism is that it replaces love. Even if you follow it, it can replace love. It replaces our love relationship with God. I grew up in a very legalistic church. Uh, it was fundamental. I'm not going to say the name of it, but uh, the initials stand for I fight Christians everywhere, or anywhere, anytime, uh, anywhere, anytime. Uh, we, we were called the fun, fighting fundies, the fighting fundamentalists. Now, there were many positives with the church I was in. I heard the gospel and God's word preached faithfully every week, very clearly. I also saw many godly people living out their faith. But the negative was, at the end of the day, the negative thing was that we, were, we grew up believing that if we were following these man-made rules, if we were following them, then we were doing well spiritually. As long as we, it didn't matter if we really felt close to God or not, or really even had that love relationship. The key was, were we following these rules? And most of them were man-made. Don't drink, smoke, chew, or date girls that do. You know, that whole thing. Yeah. We, as, long as, we didn't, as long as we didn't do, follow those rules, as long as we followed these rules, we were okay. And, and because, because of that, I remember thinking, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. I put my faith in Jesus, and I'm following these rules. But I, I grew up, a lot of us grew up thinking this. We were doing spirit. But in reality... We could be very far from God in our hearts. We can be following all these outward rules and look good, but in our hearts, we could be far from God. And that's what communion is all about. As we go to communion here now, it's staying close to God. Communion is about communing, connecting with God, staying in close communion with Him. And it's also about holiness. One of the key parts of communion is asking for forgiveness and repenting and, and getting things clean between us and God, but not in a legalistic way, in a spiritual way. God, what in your word am I, is my life, is out of whack in my life? And what have your spirit been convicting me about surrendering? Even a good thing, but it's something I need to surrender. It's, it's not in a legalistic way, but a spirit-led way, surrendering whatever is blocking our love relationship with God or God using us or fulfilling his purpose in our life. As we go to communion today, if you're already a Christian, are you in a legalistic relationship, legalistic religion, or do you have a love relationship with God? Are you close to God in a love relationship? That's his whole point. He wants, it's like a boyfriend, girlfriend. It's like, you know, it's like Paul and Brittany are going to get married next week, you know. You know they're in love, you know. 
That's what God wants with us. He wants that love relationship, that close father-son-daughter relationship. That's what he wants with us. Do you have that? Or what do we need to surrender? What do we need to shift in our thinking and our heart to, to, to get close to God? And if, you're, if you haven't become a Christian yet, maybe you're here today and you're depending on works. You're depending on being good enough. If you were to stand before God today and you were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Would it be something you do or something he's done? You've put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then the next step is baptism. Taking that step of baptism. Acts 2. Acts 2, when, when, when the apostles are preaching. In Acts 2, verse 36 Listen to what he says. I'm going to go right into communion from this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever taken that step of faith in Jesus Christ? In just a few moments, we're going to go into communion. And what we do here is we just, uh, it's a tradition. <laughs> we, we just have some worship music playing. And, and people come up front and take the bread and take the cup and Go back to your seat, and you can take it by yourself. You can take it with your family. You can take it with your husband or wife. You can take it with another Christian. However you feel that, it's between you and God. There's no right or wrong way to take the Lord's Supper. But the key is remembering that it's the body of Jesus that he gave on the cross, and, it, and the, the cup is, represents the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross for us. And if you have put your faith in Jesus... I encourage you to come forward and take communion. If you haven't done that and you're not ready to do that, then wait. It's for those who have put their faith in Christ. Nobody's looking around, just wait. But I hope you do that today. Or if there's a sin in our life that we're not willing to surrender. Not that we sin, we all sin. But if there's something in your life, say, God, I'm going to hang on to this one. You can't have this. Then don't take it because the Bible says don't take communion in an unworthy way. But I hope that because of today, you will surrender it. And give it to God. And come forward and commune. And, and this would be the start of communing with him every day. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe you're here today and you know that if you stood before God, you wouldn't know what to say. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Because you've heard the gospel this morning that Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can believe in Jesus today. You can put your faith in Jesus today. You can start to commune with God as your Father right now. Through a prayer of faith. By putting your faith in Him. There's no magic prayer, but just something like, God, I, I, I understand that my sin 
has broken my relationship with you. Everything wrong I've ever done in my life. Has offended your holiness. I understand that. And I repent. I repent of my sin. I walk away from my sinful life. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus, your son. I put my faith in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. I put my faith in Jesus. And I give my life to you. I'm going to follow you, God. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, Something powerful, amazing has happened in your life and you're going to be in for the shock of your life as you start to understand what it is. But the Holy Spirit is now in you. Jesus' own spirit is living in you. And your life will never be the same. But the best part is you can commune with God now. You can talk to him anytime. Because he's your father. And you can pray to him in Jesus' name about anything. Starting today with this communion. For those of us already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe there's something in our life that we need to surrender. Maybe it's a sin or maybe it's not even a sin, but it's something that's blocking our love relationship. And the Holy Spirit says, I have something better for you. What do we need to surrender? What do we need to trade for deeper intimacy with God our Father? What okay thing does he want us to trade for something beautiful? something awesome, something really fulfilling. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move through this communion time. We can't do anything without your Holy Spirit. It's all his power. Pray that we would know the deep love relationship through your son, Jesus Christ. Understanding your love for us. And letting that love flow through us to other people. Pray it in Jesus' name.